Hey everyone, welcome back to The Complex. I just wanted to jump on really quick and let you know that right around the two minute mark of this episode, we unfortunately experienced some technical difficulties, so you will hear the audio quality get a little bit worse than what you might be used to. We are working to get this remedied for the coming afterthoughts, so hopefully it will not occur again. So thank you for your understanding, and I hope you enjoy the episode. The Complex is sponsored by James Ochoa's book, Focus Forward, Navigating the Storms of Adult ADHD, and his training, Professional Trailblazing, a new roadmap for treating adults with ADHD. You can find these as well as James's virtual brainstorming Q&A meetups for adults with ADHD, ADHD Town Hall, on his website, jamesochoa.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Afterthoughts. Here we have episode two that we are going to be talking about today. This featured Genius Boy and all of his amazing antics. I have James literally right across from me this (laughs) time uh, before we've been remote, but we have uh, decided to make it in person for right now. Be live. Yeah. Um, So with Genius Boy in this episode... We had some really interesting things that I think a lot of people may relate to, may not relate to, uh, may think is a little crazy and outlandish. Um, sure. However, this ten this thing tends to happen with ADHD, and I'm specifically talking about um, this kind of extreme going to one end or the other. Right in season yes. one, we saw Genius Boy being very outlandish having all of these big parties, um, you know, really just kind of doing whatever he wanted, right? Getting all these hay bales and all that kind of stuff, right, for the complex. Um, and now, in season two, he's gone the opposite way. It's 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 all quiet, and it's all extreme quiet, right? Right. Um, What's going on with why? Why is that? Why is it so extreme all the time? Well, okay. So here's the interesting piece on the adult ADD spectrum, right? We've talked a lot about the underactivity of the prefrontal cortex in planning, prioritizing, and evaluating. And in this case, uh, Ramon is not in the first season is not evaluating his chaotic and outlandish nature. And in this uh, season, right, he's got this implosion or this inburst going on. Yeah, and he gets intensely quiet but if you think about his intensity of quiet it's also disruptive to the environment because it's so unusual and so intense particularly in the way he whispers and he's in a a sensory deprivation tank and all these so again he's still disrupting people around him he's not evaluating is that so that's still a it almost seems like it's an it, it's an obsession with prioritizing and evaluating, though. Well, but the obsession is a hyper-focus, okay? So it's yeah. like it's got to be shiny. It's got to be interesting and weird and unusual. And so it's that hyper-focus piece that throws in the lack or the difficulty in evaluation. Hyper-focus is not a term, is not a, a, 
something someone wants to be in all the time. Right. And Genius Boy thinks he can be in it all the time. Well, you yeah. can't be in it all the time. You can't run that kind of adrenaline stress well, that often. So if if he does though, how long can he go? So I mean, I mean, I know a lot well, of, <laughs> in the in the fictional episode, right? He apparently goes for weeks on end, if not months. Sure. Um, is that is that feasible? Do you get burnt out from that kind of thing? Well, certainly you're going to get burned out depending on age, depending on uh, circumstance or environment or how you set yourself up. And sure, I've seen people go 48, 72, 96 hours yeah. riffing on something uh, in a hyper-focused mode. The, the challenge with that is you are just destroying the relationships around you many times because you're in such a hyper-focused bubble. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can put yourself in a vacuum, you know, where you're in the woods and you're not affected by other people, which many adults with ADHD do. And in fact, a lot of successful entrepreneurs do that they, they will dial, themselves in a you know, dial their in, in their environment for creativity. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and dialing that in that creativity like that, they can do it. Like there was a, yeah. What would be an example of that? Well, a very interesting example of that. Um, there's a well-known ADHD entrepreneur who has he's a, a keynote speaker and he's a writer and he is a motivational speaker and all these other things and so he writes books okay yeah. and so one of the ways that he writes books is he gets up to the deadline from his publisher yeah okay but on this one story that he told uh, he bought a uh, a round trip ticket to the Orient okay to Japan flew over there for 12 hours writing this book in a total hyper-focus, mm. went in, took a shower, did what he needed to do in the airport, got back on the plane and flew back for 12 hours <laughs> and another hyper-focus to get the rough draft out for his publisher. Wow. Okay? So that kind of intensity of hyper-focus is what um, Genius Boy is doing here yeah. in his uh, deprivation tank. But it's, it's almost like to accommodate someone else, right? Because it, it in this... And I guess that example is is similar in that some rule, some guideline, some expectation has been set on you, mm -hmm. and you overly accommodate that. Right, right. Um, but that's an under that that's a missed evaluation because yeah. you're you're over accommodating. You're not only right? accommodating it in like the specific scenarios it was originally designated for. You're doing it as a generalized thing all over the place. Well, sure. And so if you think about that as a generalized uh, behavior, it's out of balance with the norm of how people relate in society. Well, and I think it also goes back to what you've talked about with like the emotional distress syndrome, right? right. EDS is that whenever it, and, and this is extremely behavioral too, when I'm thinking about it, because the history of that individual is that whenever there's some sort of punisher, whenever there's mm -hmm. some sort of like aversive thing that happens, right? Where in the complex, right. Jules coming and unplugging DDR, right? Uh, yelling at everybody to get out of the complex. That was a really big, like, oh my God, right. this is not <laughs> you exactly. know, a, a very bad but thing. But think about the intensity you had to use to get their attention. Right. But then like once we get that attention, then all of a sudden it's this it's it applies to everything well yeah but then there's this awareness 
of like, oh my God, I see the disruption of the responsibility I had with others and someone's upset. Yeah. And then for many people with ADHD comes the guilt-related response or yeah. many times even shame or embarrassment of the finally the recognition of what they had been disrupting comes to mind and into full awareness and suddenly they implode. Well, and, and the EDS the makes it feel like it's right. everywhere. Correct. To, that, it's, it, that it's about every single mishap ever that has right. ever happened that right. like, that's been what's cause, causing it, so I'm going to go the complete opposite way. Well, right. So if you see that one trigger, that one trigger is similar to all the other events in my life. Yeah. Suddenly the awareness I didn't have, now I have the awareness. Suddenly I feel responsible and guilty about it and even shame. And it's like it, it globalizes. And that's a classic post-traumatic stress kind yeah. of triggering element yeah. uh, on emotional intensity will match itself across different spectrums yeah. of circumstance. So it's interesting because I relate that, uh, I can relate that to my life as someone not with ADHD, right? Because if there is a moment where I come to something that is um, punishing in some respect, right? right? I need to change something sure. or it's disruptive in some way. My thought process goes to the idea of, Oh, it's this one scenario I need to right. stop. Right. Like one, right. one of an example of that is like, I really like whistling my right. girlfriend. It hurts her ears. If, if I'm ever whistling around her, it's too high pitched for her. And so it hurts her ears. And so I just don't whistle when she's around. Right. Right. Like that, that's what my brain goes to. But right. then someone who's doesn't necessarily have that evaluation, I guess. Someone with ADHD might just say, oh, I can't whistle whatsoever. Right, I can't whistle in, in public context. or anywhere else because yeah. I might bother other people. And right. right. And so they lay that over, and that is part of the emotional distress syndrome. But again, in the weirdest of ways, the, the person with ADHD is not evaluating yeah. that it's a single incident, and mm -hmm. it's not global across all these spectrums. So again... It's you have. So then, what are some ways to remedy that? How how can you make it? How can I mean? Maybe you don't need to fix that, right? You don't have to fix right. anything, but like, obviously, that that's pretty painful for the person with ADHD to generalize this thing they may actually enjoy across to to stop doing it sure. across their life. Sure. How well, do, this, how do is, this is this is where ground? things around cognitive behavioral therapies and those kind of things can be really helpful to or in self-talk so that someone mm -hmm. can talk to themselves and say, okay, this is this single incident. This is with my girlfriend. I can do this in other places. And it's almost like, again, this relationship with yourself you're building, that relationship with yourself is actually acting as a grounding force mm -hmm. to connect your executive functioning through your verbalization of talking and hearing and so you, in this relationship with yourself, it's not just a trite kind of... And by executive functioning, just prioritizing things. Sure, right? and thinking yeah. things out. And yeah. so if I can talk to myself and say, okay, this is just this one incident with my girlfriend, I can whistle out in public. I can whistle when I'm out riding my bike. That's yeah. not going to bother other people. Yeah. And if it bothers other people... They're responsible for telling me if they tell me, again, it's this single incident. Yeah. So I have to coach myself through this. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the, the stress of having to do that all the time, it's that added disruption that, of course, you know, creates the emotional distress syndrome in other ways that right. I talk a lot about. But that's one way to actually help to counteract it. Mm -hmm. um, other ways have to do with, you know, again, micro meditations or those kind of things and calming myself um, to 
forgive myself uh, for making a mistake, for mm-hmm. forgetting something, because you know it's notorious, particularly for me in my relationship, right. that I will forget something and say actually whistle again, which <laughs> yeah. I can't whistle very well, so it doesn't work <laughs> in my relationship. But yeah. uh, but I'll do something else and forget and do it again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's just a real challenge because then someone tells me about it. I'm like, oh, that's then it right. Reactivates I everything. For, exactly. But you right. have to remember, okay. That's a reactive space. This is what happens on my attention spectrum. But I think the consistency and the constancy of that self-coaching can be very helpful over time. And you can normalize it into a really dynamic, resilient relationship with yourself. I certainly have myself. Yeah. And I think we actually saw a a little bit of that kind of self-talk in the episode with Ramon here where we get him to talk with his uh, you know, imaginary sea chairs or interns, whatever he was talking about. So I actually want to play that clip real quick um, for us to listen to so that we can kind of be reminded of what that was. Okay. Has there ever been a group of people that you've been open to talking to in the past? Yeah. Like my sea chairs or a fresh batch of interns from Caltech or, you know, a Senate subcommittee. Okay. Then play a game with me for a minute. Just imagine one of them sitting here. Would you be okay with that? Oh, I can do that. I've called this meeting to talk about Jeff Blank. One, I'd like someone to get rid of him. Two, I want someone to tell me he's a terrible writer. He is a terrible writer. And nobody reads him. Really, nobody reads him. And now, I'd like us to strategize around a few grains of truth that I was able to extract from Jeff Blank's slander fest. First things first, the matter of narcissism. Okay, so the fast know, he, well, okay, wait, the fascinating thing about that clip is this. Think about perspective. And all you did and mm-hmm. all I did in working with him was shift his perspective on who he was talking yes. to. And he has a powerful, resourced, resilient frame for talking to his sea chairs. Yeah. And so suddenly he bridged that gap to his emotions. Yeah by using a very, very well-honed strategy that he'd had all the time, which is a critical kind of a neurological overlay or neurological strength overlay of taking one area that I'm strong in and putting it in this case to help me evaluate out my emotions and what I can do with it. It worked beautifully. Right. Yeah. And so it doesn't necessarily have to just be like self-talk quote unquote, right? It doesn't have to be you talking to yourself. It can be you talking to an imaginary person or object or pet or or something. Right. Or taking a certain framework. That you're imagining. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Right. Um, And so like I'm a big swimmer right now. And in my swimming, I use a snorkel. uh, So it becomes much more of a meditative. And I I, I swim in a pool that's got an eighth of a mile long Straight away. Straight away that I can swim in. Well, I can think my things out when I'm swimming incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And that's true for many people who will do that, who don't have ADHD. For me, it becomes a vital, critical resource that I can work out issues in my mind as I'm doing something else like that. It's just me taking that neurological strength of swimming and using it deliberately to think out issues because I know I'm more active and I can think to myself in a really quiet Uh, contained environment yeah another part of this was that Ramon very much it seems like has a sense or a a very low sense of confidence which Mm -hmm. 
is really interesting because pretty much throughout this whole season, series, everything, he has seemed like the most boisterous, kind of over-the-top, very confident in himself individual. Um, did that just disappear? Did that break down somewhere? How did how did well, that come about, and is that a normal thing to happen? So if you think about it as being very centric to his being a C-chair or being a software developer, and he's very confident, courageous in that world very specifically, but as soon as he was challenged, as soon as the other issues came in relationally, mm-hmm. okay, where criticism or somebody was having a thought or saying something about him, then suddenly it becomes a bigger issue. And that's part of the emotional distress syndrome is going off there for him because his confidence and courage isn't across the board. It's very centered in certain areas. Yeah. Um, and in this case, uh, it really brings up, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this throughout this part of this season. It's a very common issue of imposter syndrome mm. for people with ADHD that he doesn't believe in himself. It's it's hard for him to look objectively at this, uh, you know, pub, or this author who's writing about him. It's yeah. just a bunch of junk. It's yeah. like he, he can't evaluate it or blow it off. But he, so the imposter syndrome is just very sensitive to that self or that criticism from others mm-hmm. because of the disrupted nature of his life or the chaos many times sets that off. And it's actually the oddest thing in my own career because I still have aspects of imposter syndrome that mm-hmm. go off. It just, it absolutely blows me away when it happens. It's yeah. like I go to write a medical report or a diagnostic report and I automatically think, oh, this isn't worth a damn. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I've just been doing it 32 years. <laughs> it makes no logical sense because yeah. I'm good at it. Um, but with my struggles with writing, when I go to write, the imposter syndrome, thinking that I'm not good at it or it's very sensitive, sets itself off like this. So yeah. for Genius Boy, the imposter syndrome, he loses that sense of courage and confidence when he just doesn't have an internally strong sense of self uh, when opinions from others are coming at him. And that, to some degree, is a you know, lack of confrontation practice or being able to handle uh, stress and resi- or stress when it's coming at you in the moment. Mm-hmm. We startle too much. Uh, we're reactive. We're defensive. All those things build up this aspect. And, you know, the best thing to do for the imposter syndrome are these ideas of courage and confidence, again, is to be able to tell yourself, oh, I've had this feeling before. I know what it is. I know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. And the best we get, I believe, is kind of putting it on the sidelines, that it's a kind of a tinnitus of the mind, so to speak. It's it's annoying at best for me. But it's always going to be there. But it's always there. And here here we come back to the same thing. This doesn't go away. And it's learning to navigate and manage your life with it. Um, And so you really do have to just wash out this fix-it mode. Uh, There's not a fix-it to this. There is a reorientation to how I take care of myself and Mm -hmm. what I do to personalize my life and manage it. But it doesn't go away. Yeah. Well, there's one last clip um, that I believe is actually a little bit earlier in the episode that I want to play. And it's specifically about him kind of going into denial around this Mm -hmm. storm happening. Um, So I want to play that real quick to remind everybody about what happened there. Anyway, there is no storm. Jules, 
You told me to quiet down, remember? And I quieted down. What's the problem? Yeah, I remember. And do you remember the first thing you said when it finally got quiet? You asked me how I was because my outburst seemed out of character. Well, your inburst is out of character. So, what's going on with you? I don't know. I have no idea. None. What about you, therapy man? Well, it looks like you're on the other side of the extreme. Your quiet is as intense as your chaos. So I'm curious, Ramon, how's that panic precipice going for you? Non-existent. Nowhere. No panic at all. But that's how you ran your life before, wasn't it? Yeah, he avoids a looming deadline. Through social distraction. Leads to hibernation. Culminating in a last-minute work skirmish and... Product rollout. Yep, not a thing anymore. I guess you could say my crisis is the lack of a crisis. So here we see him (laughs) flat out denying that anything's happening, anything's wrong. Um, And pretty much everybody in the complex is like, nope, something's wrong, bud. (laughs) Yes, everyone else can say it but me. Right. Um, Yes, and you're getting a very classic defensive mechanism in ADHD, certainly known as reactive distress uh, and the reactive uh, or the rejection sensitive dysphoria uh, that's been written about so well by Dr. Dobson is a huge component of our neurological uh, impression of issues being very sensitive mm. to uh, things coming at us and how we feel about them. And so when you when you see it in, in, in this regard, right, he's got that defensiveness and reactivity which aligns or develops and builds up the emotional distress syndrome all yep. the time. And that's how these two issues kind of fold together. But again, it's a reactivity. Yeah, It's a knee-jerk reaction. It is very difficult to calm down that reactive distress. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually had some really good ways of managing that myself uh, in the last few years in doing uh, deeper forms of meditation, Uh, different aspects of deep breathing in a way that helps center and resource my body. Do you do that in the moment of of being distressed? Yes, yes, I can. But also I do those earlier in the day, which kind of insulates me. It kind of prepares me for that. Gives you extra Uh, bandwidth to be able to confront anything that might come at you. Yeah, and you know, at some point here, we're all going to talk about it. You have to have heard, or many people may have heard about, you know, the cold water therapies that are out there now, really being popularized by uh, Wim Hof, uh, who's just a, you know, he has done a lot around breathing and cold water therapies that help us to manage that startle response by Mm -hmm. strengthening what's called the vagus nerve response or the ability to calm ourselves under an extreme reaction. Mm. Um, So there's lots of shiny ways to chase this, as I would say. Sure. And I chase them all the time, whether it's using imagination in my emotional safe place or adding something there or using cold water therapies that the pool I swim in is mm-hmm. 70 degrees here in Austin, Texas. And, you know, obviously that's a cold water therapy. And as Jules and I were doing this morning and it was 48 degrees outside <laughs> and raining and the water was cold, there's just an added degree of intensity and fun. Yeah. So, but all that to me helps with this resilience, which can calm down that reactivity. Mm-hmm. doesn't take it away. It might shorten it a little bit. It allows me to get around it. 
And it can calm it down preemptively too. Correct. So you're not having to, to be reactionary to your reactions, if right. that makes sense. Right. Yes. You, you're taking uh, proactive steps to, uh, to be more centered, to be more calm, to, to, you know, right. And as I say, the yeah. micro meditations are insulating you throughout the day. So these one yeah. to three minute meditations throughout the day help to insulate you. Um, you know, but the, one of the final pieces of this, when you're looking at resourcing yourself like this around this reactive distress, um, over time, it gets simpler, it gets less disruptive a lot, but it doesn't, again, go away. Yeah. Okay. And it's the not going away piece that's the critical aspect of this. And the final piece I want to talk about from this group therapy today is if you notice that Ramon was able to get around that reactive stress mm -hmm. and with a sense of safety around him and people he trusted yeah, and in a way that he could talk about it, then suddenly he gains insight into that space. Right, right. But it doesn't come without safety and it yeah. doesn't come without support around you. And so it's critical, again, to get these pods of support around you of people who really believe in you and can kind of help you through these things at times. Yeah, and that you can open up to and and actually talk to because right. one of the one of the main um, pieces of that of uh, the clip too was that Ramon asked Jules like what's going on you told me to quiet right. down I quieted down right. what's wrong I think I did and, what I was supposed yeah, to do exactly I followed and, the rules and that ability for Jules and Ramon in the complex to communicate and say, look, I didn't mean quiet down your entire life. I just meant stop blasting the base at 11 PM at night, mm -hmm. if not later. Right. Correct. Um, that kind of communication is so critical, uh, for everyone's life, especially those with ADHD when this kind of thing gets blown up. Yes, and so not only communication, but clarification, yeah, right? Yeah. Making sure that the person knows what they're saying or you, they know what you're saying back and forth. So that clarification is as key as communication a lot of times back and forth. But obviously there's so much here of that course. we can continue to talk yeah, about. We've right. done a lot of that today that I hope yeah. has been helpful. Yeah, well... Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope this episode of Afterthoughts was helpful for you. If you have any more questions or want to dig into any more of the resources that James has available, you can go to jamesochoa.com and find his book and some of his uh, upcoming resources, including a professional development training series. That oh, yeah, I'm super excited about these. Um, you can find all of that on his website, jamesochoa.com. And of course, listen next week for the third episode of season two of The Complex. Lots of fun. We can't wait to talk to you all then and have a great rest of your week. The Complex is produced and directed by Jules Ochoa and co-written by Jules Ochoa and Robin Schultzenoff. Amanda was played by Marina Dewey Pedraza. Ramon Berkowitz, a.k.a. Genius Boy, was played by Noel Gollin. Jessica was played by Robin Gray Soto. Bernard was played by Tom Doyle. Crispy was played by John Brickley. Jade was played by Gus Dexheimer. Jules Ochoa played Jules. And James Ochoa played himself. <laughs>